Thank you, Tony. That actually, that's a really good introduction to what we're talking about today. We are, we are finishing Matthew. And if you guys were here last week, you know we left off in chapter 27. And we were talking about how God motivates us. That when God comes and he's looking to move us you know, closer to him to do things in his kingdom, what does that look like? And we said it doesn't look like guilt and it doesn't look like pride, but it looks like him just trying to draw us to be with him. And that is, that's, that is exactly what, you're, what you shared about, Tony, is his desire for us to be with him, for him to be with us, and what, what that looks like. Um, and that, that what that looks like piece, what that, that burden which I'm glad you, you led with that passage because, you know, today it, we're going to finish the book of Matthew. We're going we're gonna to end with the Great Commission, which is a perfect tie of the entire book together. And uh, most times when we hit the Great Commission, it feels like a burden. I'm not going. I'm not making enough disciples. I'm, I'm forgetting these things. And yet, you know, what you read is earlier in Matthew where Jesus has says, what I'm about to leave you with is easy. Is light. In fact, all the other things you could be choosing to do with your time are going to be more difficult than what I have set before you here in the Great Commission. Which let me let me read this passage to you because this is going to be our framework through the end of the book. But Jesus leaves his disciples the last three verses of Matthew with this. He tells them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, which would a burden not be light if it's coming from someone that has all authority on heaven and on earth. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold the promise that's echoed in exactly what Tony read. I am with you always to the end of the age. I had noted that this, it's a cool tie-in to the very beginning of the book when we saw in Matthew 1 that, that basically what Matthew's goal in writing all of this account of the gospel is that we would see that Jesus Christ saves and reigns, right? He has the right to redeem us. He is our savior. He's the one who fixes and heals from brokenness. He brings us back to a right place with God, but he's also, he's the Lord, right? That he is one that you can actually let, you can actually let him give you his burden and exchange it for yours. And he has, he has the right to do this. He is, he is God. And it's cool how Matthew ends in the same place where he starts. Tony, what you shared is like right smack in the middle of the book. So this whole thing Matthew has been on the entire time. What a thank you. Thank you for the introduction this morning. As we finish this book, guys, you're going to, I read for you the Great Commission. I'm going to read it one more time, and then I'm going to let, let you hear the rest of the rest of the scripture, which will be, we, we finish chapter 27, verse 62. We'll read all the way through the end. But listen to the Great Commission one more time. Listen, you're going to hear two commands and a promise, Okay. See if you can spot. There's two commands and a promise. And then when you hear me read the rest of the chapter and you get the whole context, start to see, ooh, they, 
they struggled with the command right there. They forgot the promise right there because those pieces are there, okay? But here's the Great Commission one more time. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gives this right after um, he has been crucified. Mary, the Marys go to the tomb. They watch his body put in. And we pick up in verse 62 of chapter 27. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, well, he's risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers? Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came and they took, up, or they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we are grateful this morning. As, as often happens as we've been going through Matthew, we come to a passage of Scripture we may be a little bit more familiar with, but this one in particular, Lord, is often one we maybe walk away after having studied or after having heard sermons preached on it, probably feeling more, more guilty than encouraged. 
Because, Lord, even if we are believers this morning, we feel like we are not measuring up to the weight of what you have asked us to do. And yet sometimes we make in our heads bigger the weight that you've asked us to do. Your burden is light. Your burden is easy. Your yoke is not wearisome, Lord. Father, may as we read your great commission, your charge to your people, what you have been building your kingdom to do. Father, may you give us ears to hear this morning that this is not a charge that we need to measure and fall, fall short of. But this is what you have always been about, and this is what you have made us to do. Father, this morning, if we have received your Son, if we have been filled with the Spirit, then we are able to live out your image, and this becomes what, you're, what you have always shown us, Lord, like th this is your heart for us. This is the life that you have set before us. And Father, if we are coming here this morning and we are not right with you, if we have not come to put our faith, our trust in your son and who he is, Father, I know we come to church and we hear a lot of things about what a Christian is or isn't about what a church a church goer, church attender should or shouldn't do. We know, we've seen a lot of examples of what churches do and what they shouldn't do. Father, may we be humbled this morning at just how simple your call really is. And may we, as, as Tony was saying, may we be refreshed. There is a refreshing that comes when we are reminded who we are, Lord. Remind us who we are today as we read this. In your name we pray. Amen. It's, it's good, Tony, that you, you shared that. Because I'm, I'm thinking about how much frustration and angst I have that usually just comes up when I don't know what to do. You know, and how much peace do you feel when you walk into a situation? You actually know. It, it could be a really difficult situation. But if you know what, what to do. Right, like you know, man, I'm here to do a difficult job, but I at least know the job I'm supposed to do. Man, that, that, changes, that changes everything. So here this morning, here's, here's our job, church. Two commands of the Great Commission, one promise. That first command, go. All right, because of Christ, because all of this is because of the authority on heaven and earth that has been given to Jesus. The first command, go. God calls us to go. And what does this going look like? That word there, go, is kind of neat. There's a pattern that I, I, I didn't want to introduce and show all the cards in my deck too soon. But there's a pattern you're going to see today. That a lot of the words that Jesus uses when he's talking about things or when he's giving you things to do, they all kind of have two meanings to them. Okay. So this first word, go, it's a verb pareo, and it, it has two meanings. One is a literal going. Right, like a physical, I'm going from point A to point B. The second meaning is, is more, think about transformation. It's, it's a word that's used to say, like, I'm not just physically in a place, I'm spiritually in a place. Right, like I'm, I'm like this much empathetic and this much compassionate and probably this much disciplined and this much on anger, this much on joy. I'm, I'm here, and yet I need to go to be here. Right, So Jesus calls his disciples to go, both literally and a, a spiritual, maybe a little bit more figurative movement. And I think it's, it's interesting that, that God calls us 
to do this. Uh, because it's, it's kind of implying, now those of you when, you, when you came to faith in Christ, you didn't necessarily have to pick up and move from one house to another, right? But it, it may have for you meant that different rhythms changed, right? The community that you were with may have looked a little bit different. The things you chose to spend your time with may have looked a little bit different, right? There's a physical difference in your going, but there's also a spiritual difference. I mean, it's, it has been long said that when you come to Christ, you don't stay the same, right? That, that's kind of the premise that, that Jesus is getting at here, that when you go, you are following, you are kind of reorganizing your life, if you will, to say, this is the example that is set in Christ. This is where I am at. We're going to get there. And of course, we're going to get to that promise at the end. He's not with us. We're not on that journey alone. But it's two different kinds of going. And I love, I love that Jesus uses this because this is something that all of Scripture has been getting at. Right? That God is not just showing up and saying, I'm now telling you to do something Completely different from anything you've ever seen. He's coming and he's saying, let me actually tell you to do what I have always done for you. All of scripture, all of scripture uses this language whenever it talks about sin as you're kind of being broken apart from, you're being distanced from, like you're, you're physically being removed from God. In fact, here, here's the first time we see this in Genesis 3. Okay, this is verse 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's the very first time sin shows up. The language the Bible uses is one of you have been broken, you have been separated, you have been distanced from God. There's now a distance. So it would make sense that Jesus says, the first thing I'm going to tell you to do as my disciples, you need to go. You need to go. And this is exactly what all scripture shown, right? You've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. How many times in the Old Testament has God come literally to be with his people? Sometimes it's a pillar of fire. Sometimes it's a cloud of smoke. Sometimes it's through angels. Sometimes it's, some people will say some of the angels in the Old Testament were, you know, Jesus before Jesus, which can get kind of confusing. But however way you look at it, God comes. God goes. He's there. Right? And then when they don't take that, they become their own nation, you get the prophets. God's still coming. Then after that, you get Jesus. God's still coming. Then after Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. God literally coming to stay. God always goes. So when he tells us that to be like him, we're going, he says, hey, I, I made you in my image. I'm a God who goes. I'm a God who goes physically from place to place. I'm a God who spiritually can change things A to B. I am a God who goes. You are to be a people who go. And uh, the reason, the reason we, I wanted us to hear the whole context up to this verse is because there's some pictures of people going before you get to this. Right? If you look at the chief priests and the Pharisees, they're going to kind of give you an idea of why do we struggle 
with going. If you look at verses 62 through 66, you do see the chief priests and Pharisees go, but where do they go, right? The first place they go, they go to Pilate, right? And why are they going to Pilate? Because they're trying to keep people from Jesus. And then where's the second place they go? They go to the tomb. Verse 66, they went and made the tomb secure. Both times they go, they're working to keep people away from Jesus, both physically and spiritually, right? They're saying, hey, do not let this thing that Jesus said would happen, happen. And I realized, church, I think the reason you and I struggle so much with going is because when we start to go, kind of like think of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? When they're going and they're walking on this life that God has, something comes along and says, ooh, what if you stopped going and instead started preserving, right? What if, what if you said, hey, you've, you've got this good thing in place, but actually you just need to stay. When God calls us to go, our instinct is often we, we go and we get to a place we like and then we just we want to stay there, right? We get to this earthly mindset of what I've written down, preserving, right? The Pharisees and the chief priests say, seal off the tomb, right? Keep it there. They say, go, don't, do not let Jesus come out of there. Do not keep this from happening. And we get in a a preserve mentality, not because we fear God, but because we fear losing control. I mean, when you go, you lose a lot of control. I mean, if you've ever flown on an airplane, you're, you're kind of aware of just how much you're not in control. When you, when you think about, and not to terrify you if, if you already don't like flying, but you're, you're sitting in a metal cylinder that's going pretty darn fast, pretty high off the ground. Um, you can't control the direction. You can't control the wind around you. You can't control whether they remembered to refuel the tank. You can't even control, um, they, they always, the stewardesses tend to put too much ice in the cup so that you don't even get a full drink. Like you, there's a lot of things you cannot control when you are going. And here, the Pharisees and the chief priests say, no, we like where we're at. So we're not going to go anymore. We're going to stay. Staying is always about control. And I miss this, church. I completely miss this. But in Matthew 20, Jesus actually tells his disciples, hey, you're going to lose control. Okay? He tells them in chapter 20, verse 18, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. We're going. And here's what the going is going to look like. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. That doesn't sound good. They will condemn him to death. That's less good. They'll deliver him over to the Gentiles. I don't like this direction, Jesus. To be mocked and flogged and crucified. Okay, Jesus, I, we're in a good place. We've got you here. We don't need to go any further. Okay? Let's, let's just stay here, Jesus. But why do we endure this? Because the end of that verse, he will be raised on the third day. Jesus says, here's the encouragement, the hope you have in going. I'm always with you. Right? Forget about if you're losing control. You have me. Is, is that not enough? If you have me, what, what can't you let go of? And you see this a little bit in the Marys. They go. 
And I love this. They're going to the tomb. They know Jesus has died. They know the tomb is secure. Part of me is like, what are they doing? And you see in them, there's, there's just an instinct so strong. They want to be with God. They'll go sit next to the tomb. They have no clue what it's going to look like when they get there. Although they may think, well, it's tombed, it's sealed, it's secure. We're not going to be able to go in there. They don't know what it's going to look like. They still want to go. There could be, there could be them thinking, you know, Jesus did say he was going to rise in three days. Maybe we want to go get a front row seat to see it happening. So again, even if that's true, the Marys are saying, we don't really know what it's going to look like when we get there, but we still want to go. And how cool is it that out of that mentality, the angel shows up and says, don't be afraid, don't fear, you're about to lose all control, the guards just trembled, they lost control, right? Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. Because you are seeking him, now you get to come, and then, verse 7, go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. They are met in their going, and they're given a little bit more clarity and a little bit more direction. And then they go, they departed quickly, verse 8, and then verse 9, Jesus comes to them. As they're going, a little bit more direction, a little bit more clarity. Church, if we are disciples of Christ, we go. We go to engage others. And I love, I love how we don't always know what it's going to look like, man, but we go. We are still going. Second charge. First charge, Jesus says, go therefore. Second, make disciples of all nations. I love this. And I can't tell you how many different times in seminary we heard somebody talking about this passage. But there were, there were some new things that jumped out to me this past week when I was reading through it. Um, that I completely missed. That word disciples... I'm going to be a little, a little picky on the words this morning. There's a, there's a big deal why Jesus uses that word. That word also has a dual meaning, and it means both to listen or to follow someone's teachings and instructions and their lifestyles, but also to teach and to instruct and to you know, share your lifestyle with someone else. So that word that Jesus uses implies you're both in the position of you're learning from and you're receiving, and then you're turning around and you're giving and you're sharing it with others. And we, Matthew kind of gives us this, this little picture because you've got the Marys going to the tomb. They're receiving the word of God. Hey, remember what he said from the angels, right? And then they say, and then the angels turn around and send him, go. And then as they're going, Jesus comes to them, and they see him. They're able to worship him. And then Jesus says, okay, also go. Right? Like there is a pattern. We're going. We're receiving. We're being turned around, and we're sent out to go give this to someone else. And we don't, we don't get a, a full picture of this in the chief priests and the Pharisees, but I wanted to harp on them for a second. Because I think it's interesting, Matthew includes their story mixed in here, right? We already looked at verses 62 through 66, where they're saying, no, stay back. Don't go, stay. Keep these things from happening. If you look at chapter 28, verses 11 through 15, they then hear, they then receive the news of what's happened. And they turn around, and almost what's worse, rather than put a, a hush order on the soldiers, they say, go spread lies, 
right? So now they've received, but oh no, they will not, they will not share. And they're even willing to put up what verse 12 tells us, a, a sufficient sum of money to make sure this is not, not sharing. The, the chief priests and the Pharisees, Jesus has already told us a little bit about them. And why they're not making disciples, they're actually after making two other things. And the two other things, as I was thinking about this week, I've realized I've been guilty of at different points in my life of following Christ. Two things, guys, that making disciples are not. It's not making converts, and it's not making craftsmen, okay? Back in Matthew 23... In, in the list of when Jesus is saying, woe to you, Pharisees, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You know, one of our favorite passages when he's laying into them. One of those woes in verse 15, he condemns the Pharisees for making proselytes, which is a really weird, uh, really weird word in English. It, it means convert. He says, woe to you for going around and just trying to convince everybody your, your doctrine, your beliefs, your system of life, that that is best. Woe to you for making converts. Jesus says you worked hard to win others to your beliefs, your lifestyle, your, your faithfulness, your attitudes, everything. You won people to your doctrine, but in Matthew 23, he says you've made them twice as much a child of hell as you are, which is pretty strong language coming from Jesus. Jesus says in Luke Luke 19, he says, here's my mission. It's not coming to make converts. I've come to seek and save the lost. I'm going to find them. I'm going to share who I am with them. And then we miss this. Right after that verse, Jesus goes right into the parable of the talents. But you, you remember when we talked about that in Matthew, that is Jesus saying, take what I give you and go run in the kingdom with it. This picture of receiving what I have given you and then going. Jesus says, I'm not coming just to convert people from one thing to another. I am giving them a new life. But also, he's not making craftsmen. In that list of woes, Jesus talks about how hard the Pharisees worked to make themselves look good. How much effort they spent in making sure all the I's were dotted and all the T's were crossed. And we've got the perfect defense for everything. Making a, a craftsman, if you will. And Jesus doesn't use that language when he says make disciples. He says, I'm making you go and make people who receive from me and who give me to others. Guys, both converts and craftsmen, they're made out of control issues. And I, I want to be really clear this morning, because I feel like sometimes when I talk about control as a pastor, it really comes across as uh, we have issues with authority or I'm looking to just hold on to control for myself, right? Both of those typically imply some, some underhanded motivations that I, I mean, I know most of in you in here, I don't think... That's you guys, okay? I don't think any of you have secret ambitions. I mean, I'm almost picturing like cartoon villains, right? I don't think any of you guys want control so you can remake things how you want it, okay? Where I think we struggle with control is after a bad experience with it. Where we have 
something in a position of authority over us, wherever. And it does not go well. And so that, that little self-preservation instinct kind of kicks in. I'm not talking about abuse. Let me be clear on that. Because you definitely, that's this whole other narrative. But I noticed how the chief priests and the Pharisees, they, they have never in Matthew been good when anyone above them comes into the picture. And I know that for them, they are essentially the religious leaders of a people who have been conquered. So they've had some issues with authority over them. And so whenever something comes up and just, just even slightly steps on their toes, they don't receive it. They fight to control the narrative of the situation, verses 11 through 15 of 28. They fight to control the circumstances. That's chapter 27, 63 and 64. They have a really hard time letting go. When you make a convert, you're keeping that person, pretty much you're always the mentor, they're always the mentee, right? You keep control. It's a little bit easier. When you're a craftsman, you're always focused on what you need to grow and what you want to grow in. That's also easier than making disciples. Converts and craftsmen don't require letting go of control, but making disciples does. Jesus even tells us, how do you make disciples? And both of those things speak to letting go of control. He says in verse 19, how do you make disciples of all nations? You baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? Baptize, baptizo, if you, you hear Baptist in there, that's, that's where this comes from. To baptize is to be fully immersed, to be cleansed and fully immersed. That is really where, where the Baptist tradition came out of, was people wanting to be fully immersed in the spirit and cleansed by the blood of Christ. At Jesus' baptism, you saw he was washed in the water by John the Baptist, right? Showing we need to be cleansed. And then the spirit descends on him. We need to be filled with the spirit. That's what Jesus says what we are to do as disciples. We go and as we're engaging others, we are leading them to be cleansed by Christ and then to be filled with the spirit, okay? Both of those require letting go of control. Because we're not winning people to our way of life. We are bringing people to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, which is not about us. And then they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, also not about us. We have to let go if we're making disciples. And then he says in teaching, you're baptizing them. You're also teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That word observe better translates to guard or to, how do I have it written? To keep from escaping. Almost like hold hostage. Paul tells Timothy to guard the good deposit entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit. That's not Paul telling Timothy, don't forget the facts of your statement of faith. That's Paul telling Timothy, you have the word and the nature of God within you. Do not let go of that. It would not surprise me. Church, if, if many have been turned off by faith because you see churches more focused on making converts or craftsmen than disciples. 
people can instinctively walk into a room and man, if, if all the church is doing is just trying to tell you about how bad you are and about how good Jesus is and if you just understood how bad you were and switched to how good Jesus is and just accepted who Jesus is, then everything would be fixed. That might be a little bit lacking for some. And some places you step into the church and you feel, oh man, they've, they've got the good picture of what we're supposed to be after. And they have all these things that I'm supposed to be doing. And then your focus turns inward and then you're either overwhelmed that you can't measure up to it. Or then you're constantly trying to, you know, almost, almost acting like, oh man, is this the right thing to do? I'm not sure. Ne- neither of those is giving control to Christ and then letting someone run in the freedom that comes with Christ. Both converts and craftsmen keep someone under the thumb. That's why God did not call us to do that. As we call to engage others, we make disciples. And we do this in the promise of Christ. I am with you always. I'm with you always, church. This has been the whole story of Matthew. God shows up, right? I mean, Matthew, even before that, he starts with the genealogy. I know it's boring because it's a long list of names. But he starts with, look at all the times God has been with you. Look at all of your ancestors and the ways they walked with God. Look at, remember, remember your great, 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 great grandfather? Did you not hear, see how God was working in his life? Remember your great, 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 great grandmother? Do you remember seeing how God was with her? Like Matthew starts with this picture, how God has always been with his people. And then Jesus comes. And we see how Jesus fulfills all these things. God says, this is what I'm trying to do for you. I'm trying to make a way for you to be with me again, to live the life that I have made you for, and it's in Jesus. And Jesus comes, and God shows all of this. We even get, we even get the little glimmer of it with the Marys when, when as they're going, as they're given these instructions to go take to the disciples, Jesus comes. Jesus comes. I am with you always to the end of the age. And I love that this is given in response to verse 17. When his disciples see him, they are now getting the full picture. And yet, some doubted. And that may be where you are this morning. Right? We know a lot of these things to be true. We're even here in this place to worship. But some doubted it's the same word when jesus looks at peter who's been trying to walk on the water and he's going under he's been doing his best he's he's looking at jesus but he gets tripped up by the storms and he starts going down why did you doubt because many of you are in that same place this morning you are, you are pursuing Christ. You are doing your best to follow him. And people are pushing you away. You are seeing loved ones that are struggling with health. Your physical needs are not being met. You're, you've got things like we started this morning praying about, God, I've been waiting for this and this is not coming true. You've been in that place. You are pursuing Christ and yet that is still happening. And Jesus says, why do you doubt? I 
am still with you. I'm still with you. It's why, church, this, this great commission, we talked about this two years ago when we were forming what did we want to be about as a church. I mean, I think back to last week when Jesus is looking at the joy set before him that he's able to endure the cross. And we talked about how that is him getting to be with God. I mean, if we, if we are going to not just survive as a church and organization, but if you're going to bring a compelling life, a compelling message to the rest of the world, then it's got to be something weightier than just, okay, we're going to overcome something over here, or we've got some good things that can help you get through some tough moments. Like you you got to give somebody something real, something genuine, something authentic. That's the language at least my generation tends to use, what we're looking for in church. We're looking for real. We're looking for authentic. What Jesus is saying is, <laughs> you, you have me. What is more real than this? This is why our mission statement at New River Fellowship, we are a community on mission submitted to Christ, committed to disciple making. It's why we do what we do. We're going to talk a little bit more about corporately how we do that next week, okay? Next week is Covenant Renewal Sunday. It's our big celebration of all that we've seen God do in the past year and all the things we are prayerfully hoping we see God do for the future. So there is a, a corporate application to this that I'm just, forgive me, we're going to throw it to next week. But I'm going to give us an opportunity. I, there is, I don't know, just kind of as Abigail and, and Melody were touching on it and the words they're singing, as, as you mentioned it, Tony, there, there is a personal call that is really embedded into once you realize this is who God is and who he has made us to be. So we're going to take a second and just have you guys a chance to respond. Because I know staying, walking through the text, the Spirit will have tugged at some point on one of these things. It could also be, you know, it's kind of warm in here. So sometimes you nod off. But it's not falling asleep. Let's look for the conviction of the Spirit, okay? One of these is probably going to stick out to you a little bit more than the rest today. It might be go, right? If you felt something, if you felt tension when, when God shows up and he tells his disciples, go, take a second and reflect on that, okay? We'll, we'll put some music on. We'll just let you guys have a second to say, okay, God, why did I feel something there? What is, what is hard for me about going? Why, you know, is it, is it a particular place? Is it, you know, I don't want to talk to those people? Is it just talking about faith in general is hard? Is it, God, you know, going is also me becoming more like Christ, and I'm really struggling with that in this way? Going is difficult. If you felt that, then call that out to God today. But it might not have been go. It may have been make disciples. Some of you may have never realized there's a difference between converts and craftsmen and disciples. And you're going, oh, man, I, I feel like I might make more converts or more craftsmen than, than disciples. I don't know if I've even thought about that. Take a second, okay? Take a second there and reflect on that with the Lord. Say, God, now that I understand this and I see that this is who you've made me to be, 
then uh, I don't know, you probably need to reshape some things. Just, just take a second and do that, Lord. But maybe it's the last one. God's promise in the Great Commission, I am with you always. That might be a promise that you need today more than anything else. Okay? I'm with you always. That is a promise, I will point out, that is not given to the chief priests and the Pharisees. That is a promise that Jesus gives to those who by faith have surrendered to him and have received the Spirit. And so there may be a point today, and this is probably the most uncomfortable place, but the starting point is saying that has to be true for me before the rest of this can be made real. Right? I have to say, God, I recognize, just as we've been seeing all Matthew, your son has the right to reign. Right? He, is, he is king because you are God. You have created, you have ordered, you have set things up in a way I am not in control. Jesus also has the right to redeem. God, because I am not in control, if you made me for life with you, you got to bring me back. And, and we, we got to fix what's broken. Okay, we'll start there. We may need to start there this morning. I'm going to pray. We're going to put on a little bit of music. And guys, just take about 30 seconds, a minute. We're, we're, we'll, let's let the Spirit show you which one of these needs to move you today. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for how you have made us after your image. Lord, you've given us a purpose and a value. Lord, that we, we confess we lose sight of that pretty easily. Father, please, whether it's go, whether it's make disciples, whether it's just the fact that you're with us, show us where you're at work in our hearts this morning. Tune us into that so we can be listening as we go this week. We'll take a minute, Lord. We're, we're ready to hear. We're ready to hear from you.